Okay, if you'd like to turn with me, if you brought your Bibles, to uh, Luke chapter 24 and reading from verse 13 through to verse 35. So Luke chapter 24, reading from verse 13 to 35. And this is the account of Christ as he appears to the two on the road to Emmaus. Verse 13, now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today it is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And a certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, He indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour, and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Amen. A wonderful portion of scripture and uh, I'm kind of extending Easter as we look at this passage and that's no bad thing. Sometimes we shy away from passages just because it's falls in what we or the church call a certain season but you know these things are relevant whether it's Easter, Christmas or whatever time of year the calendar says um, and so I want us to look at this um, passage to, this evening and the, the text really is Verse 31, and the title of the message is, Jesus opens our eyes. In verse 31, it says, then their eyes were opened and they knew him. 
This is the very well-known account. We, we probably hear this uh, most Easter's. We, read, we go through it. We um, very often quoted this well-known Emmaus Road account. And in verse 32 on our text, it says that their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened and the Christ was revealed to them. They suddenly saw Christ and knew who it was that had been amongst them, that it was the Christ. But first, before we consider that their eyes were opened, we must take this journey with these two men and to see that it was indeed Jesus who opened their eyes, that it was actually nothing to do with them. They had no part in their eyes being opened or of any of their knowledge or understanding of what had happened in Jerusalem over those previous days. The road to Emmaus is a a literal journey. It's it's, uh, happened with these two men who were walking back to their village of Emmaus and and Jesus who comes along. So it's an actual journey that took place. But it's also for us as we read this account, it's not just about an account for us to remember this is what happened after, um, you know, just for our own factual understanding of these events that took place after the death and resurrection of the Christ. But it's also a spiritual journey, and it's that spiritual journey that we will take with these two men tonight. These two men who, after the crucifixion of Christ, were walking several miles from Jerusalem back to their village of Emmaus. But this spiritual journey, this outlines men, women, people going from not knowing Christ, to their eyes being blinded to him, to their eyes being opened and to their lives transformed. We see on this journey of however long it would have taken to walk seven miles, I don't know, it would take me a long time because I'd be stopping at every place where I could grab a something to eat or a bottle of water or something like that, but it would have taken a long time. But in that relatively short journey of seven miles, their lives were transformed from, as the scripture tells us, they were sad. Jesus points out when he asked them, what is it you, why is it you're talking? What is the conversation you're having as you're walking along this road and are sad? They were walking along very dismayed. But from the start of that journey to the end, as we see, their lives were transformed and they were transformed as their eyes were opened to the Christ. So let us take a look at this journey. Firstly, verses 15 and 16, they didn't recognize Jesus. Their eyes were blind. Verse 15 and 16 say, So it was while they conversed and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so they did not know him. Now they're obviously talking about, as we as we see, what they were explaining to Jesus what they were talking about, about the events that are, have been happening. So they, they knew Jesus. They knew who he was. They saw and witnessed the events. They had witnessed what happened in Jerusalem, as they said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know about what happened? They were there. They knew a lot about Jesus. They knew about him. 
They knew what they expected and hoped about this Jesus. They called him a prophet. They called him a man of God. They went over the events with Jesus of what had happened. So it wasn't like this Jesus was a second account and they'd never met him and never knew the physical Jesus. They were there, they saw it, and yet their eyes were blind. They didn't know him. They didn't recognize that this man walking along with them was the very man who they were talking about, who were they just discussing, who were they were downcast about. And there were several reasons why they didn't recognize him, why their eyes were blind to him. Ultimately, as the scripture says in verse 16, that it was God who had blinded their eyes. They were restrained. It said their eyes were restrained so that they did not recognize him. Why? Was this some game of God to guess the man who's walking alongside you? Who is the man? Guess who? Remember the game, guess who? Was it kind of a guess who game? No. It was so that God and Christ would be honoured. So that by the end of it, they would see and know and acknowledge and their lives be transformed. So God would receive all the glory. So for a little time, for this short journey, he allowed their eyes to be blind so that they could get a fuller understanding, really, of who this Christ was. And why was that? Well, because the events didn't work out as they had expected them to. That's why their eyes were blind. And that's why God kept their eyes blinded for this seven-mile journey so that they could get a fuller understanding exactly of who this Christ was and what he had to do and what he had done. But for them, that's why they were downcast. That's why they were sad. It hadn't worked out as they requested, as they expected. That's why Jesus said why he was sad. He noticed they were downcast. They weren't walking back to Emmaus rejoicing that they'd seen the risen Christ. They were going back to Emmaus thinking, what a disaster. The plans have all gone wrong. And this man who we had hoped in, this man who we had hoped would have changed and would have um, redeemed and sorted out the problems in Israel has ended up dead on a cross. That's what they say to Jesus in verse 19. The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and were before God and the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all these things, it is the third day since these things happened. They were downcast. To them, everything had gone wrong. These two men had preconceived ideas of who the Christ was and what the Christ had come to do for them. And they got it all wrong. And so for them, as they were walking, they weren't walking away with a, a joyful resurrection Christ experience. They were walking away thinking this man who we'd hoped in is now dead. And their hopes were dashed. And so their eyes were blinded to the Christ. This account, their journey also shows that they had very little faith. In verses 22 and 24, it says that it's for the third day since this has happened. And yes, it says, certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. 
when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who, who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us, they went to the tomb and found it just as women had said. But him they did not see. And then the next verse, Jesus declares them how foolish they were for their lack of faith. They had been given the account, the account of the women. Now, the women had came and they had uh, given reports of the empty tomb, the testimony of the women. Now, some may argue that back in that day that the testimony of women wasn't very, it wasn't valid. They weren't uh, uh, considered to be very reliable witnesses. And so they would have, their faith may have been cast off because it was women who first reported. But it says that the disciples, it said they went and they verified what the women had said, that the tomb was indeed empty. The stone had been rolled away. But their response was, but him they did not see. They dismissed the reports that Christ was alive. And so their eyes were blinded. They'd heard the reports of the empty tomb. They'd heard the testimony of the women and the disciples. They'd heard how they said that an angel had come and declared that this Christ is alive. But they didn't believe it because they didn't see the body. The body wasn't there. So these two men heard a lot about Jesus. They knew all the events that had happened. They'd heard about these witnesses and the testimonies. They'd seen and heard of the crucifixion. They'd heard the testimonies that Christ was resurrected. But they did not recognize the Christ who was standing with them, walking with them on their journey back to the village. So what can we take from this first part of this journey? That this can be the very same today. Both inside the church, sadly, and outside the church. Oh, people can know a lot about Christ. There can be people who are not Christians who know a lot about Christ. If you ever have spoken to a Muslim, they know a lot about Christ but their eyes are blinded to him. I know friends and families who can tell me a lot about Christ. They know of him. They know about what happened at Easter. They know about his birth. They know the story and the accounts of Jesus. But their eyes are blinded. They don't know him. But then the real sadness comes is when there's men and women who's been in churches for many years in some cases, They've heard sermon after sermon. They've heard the gospel. They've heard about Christ. They've heard what Christ has done. They've heard that Christ died. They've heard that Christ is risen. And 40 years later, they still don't know the Christ. They still sit in the pew and do not know him. That is a reality. That happens. And that's why it's all ever important to always preach the gospel of Christ because we can never know when there's somebody in front of us who doesn't know him whose eyes are blinded I'm sure like me you know people who in churches think well you know why do we need to hear the gospel we've responded to the gospel we understand the gospel well 
anybody who says that uh, is, to me, there's a red flag there anyway, because we should love, in any case, we should love to hear time and time again about the gospel of Christ, about what he's done for us. If we think about the Passover story, how that uh, a picture there of the, 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 the young boys and the children in the family come and say, tell us again the story of how God redeemed us from the hands of the Egyptians. Tell us again. Doesn't that be our attitude? Tell us again the story of Christ, how what he's done for us, how he's saved us, how he's redeemed us. Tell us again. But tell us so that eyes may be opened. And that's the next step of the journey. Jesus opened their eyes. That's our text. Our text is in verse 31, shows us that their eyes were opened. It says, then their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he, Jesus, vanished from their sight. It's a wonderful outcome of this journey that Jesus didn't just leave them wondering and questioning and trying to figure it out themselves. If he'd have left them to figure it out themselves, they'd still be figuring it out today. They wouldn't have figured it out because it's Christ who opens the eyes of the blind and Christ only. You see, they had that knowledge. They they understood. They knew what had happened to the Christ. So they got a certain amount of knowledge. But that knowledge of what happened over those few days, that couldn't have opened their eyes. It didn't because they were walking away downcast and sad. It was Christ who opened their eyes. How did he? How? We see he didn't just click his fingers and their eyes were opened and suddenly they saw who he was. No, he went through the very same process that we should go through as we declare the gospel. And that's the first point. That's the first part. In verses 25 and 26, Jesus declared the gospel to them. Verse 25 says, Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? He declares the gospel. And I always find it quite surreal, quite strange that this Christ who they're talking about, this Christ who had just gone through that horrific death and and the, the beatings and the crown of thorns on his head and all that he suffered and died over those few days, this Christ is preaching the gospel. He's telling them about himself. He's preaching the gospel. And that's how we should that's that's the model, the path that we should do. Jesus demonstrates that. He first declared the gospel. He didn't do anything else. He didn't kind of shove something else in before that and um, let's first just do this and add a tweak it a bit. Now he preached the gospel. He told them that Christ had to suffer and had to die. And we know the very famous passage in Romans 10 that where Paul declares to us, how shall they here, unless a preacher is sent, how shall they know? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's what Paul says in Romans 10 and verses 14 and 15. And so Jesus shows us that declaring the gospel is an absolute must. He then goes on to share the scriptures with them. And he does it, he does this sharing the gospel by the scriptures. Verse 27. 
And beginning at Moses and the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So he used the scriptures to declare and to explain the gospel. It wasn't, even though here we're dealing with the Christ, he, he, he was the one who suffered and, and died and rose again. This is the Christ. He, um, if you like, he, he's, he, he is the word, but he, he shares the gospel and he declares it from the scriptures. He goes through them. It says from Moses, Genesis, all the way through the prophets and declares and shows about the Christ and how he had to suffer and die and rise again. It's amazing, really, how Jesus takes them through. And that short seven-mile journey, he takes them through Genesis, all the way through the prophets to declare to them the Christ. We see the same thing in Acts 8 as Philip um, with the Ethiopian, uh, he opened up the scriptures to him as he was reading, I believe, I remember he was reading Isaiah 53 and uh, Philip goes up to him and says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I understand unless someone explains it? And it says that Philip got up into the chariot and he opened up the scriptures to him and declared unto him the Christ. In Acts 17, as in Thessalonica, Paul himself, it says, opened up the scriptures and reason with them, from them. So there's a pattern here. The preaching of the gospel comes by declaring the gospel, but not just only declaring it, but backing that up and showing it through the scriptures. Jesus doesn't make up, you think, well, Jesus is the Christ. He is God. He can, he can do as he pleases, but he does it in the way that is designed that we should do it. He doesn't make a special exception for himself. He sets out the model of declaring and speaking the gospel. Preaching the gospel from the scriptures is the prescribed method by which men's eyes are opened and where they see Christ. And that faith is aroused within them and men are saved. That's how things happen. That's how we were saved. Whether we were um, raised and born in church, sometimes we were raised in church, but still, if we know Christ, there would have been at some point when the, we heard that gospel and within us, our faith was aroused and that we were saved by the preaching of the gospel. They said, didn't they? Did not our hearts burn within us? That was the same description that, uh, Charles, is it Charles or John Wesley said, um, their heart was strangely warmed. Wonderful. We at one time should have had that same feeling. We should have that same feeling, whether it's 40 years on, that our hearts will burn within us when we hear the gospel declared, when we hear that wonderful truth. Because again, it reminds us of who we are. It reminds us that we were in need of a saviour. And that God in his mercy provided Christ. So whenever we hear that, we shouldn't think, well, it was 40 years ago since I responded. I've responded to the gospel. Our hearts should be warmed and burning within us whenever we hear the gospel. And it was Jesus who opened their eyes through this method. And it's important to note that they had no part in it. They did not open their eyes. They didn't open their eyes. They couldn't open their eyes. They couldn't see the Christ. They did nothing 
except to listen to what Jesus had to say as they walked along the road and listened to that gospel being preached. Sadly, today we're in a in a way in an area where the church or the church so-called chooses not to preach the gospel. They, as I say, like Jesus didn't do, they try and slip something else in, either in its place or tweak it or make it more more appealing. Christ didn't make it more appealing to those men on that road. What did he say to them? How foolish you were. That wasn't making it more appealing. <laughs> How foolish you are that you've witnessed these things and yet you do not believe. That's not watering it down. That's not providing chocolate eggs at Easter and a selection box at Christmas to see the goodness of the church. Now, that's not what Jesus did. He declared the truth. He declared the gospel. And we should be very wary of anybody or any church who tries to tell us otherwise that there's another way. There's another way in which we can try and get people into our churches. Again, that's another flag because we're not about getting people into our churches. We're about getting people to know the Saviour, the Christ, whom we know. It's about getting people's eyes to be opened. We can have a hundred people, I guess, in this church, but if their eyes aren't open, what does it matter? It's eyes open to Christ that we desire not just bums on seats, as it were. And so that's why I believe it's always important to pray for the work of the gospel, that Christ is preached and that Christ is declared from the scriptures. And that's not the end of that journey, because this is where we move to next. They were moved to share, verses 33 to 35. It says, so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So their lives were so transformed that immediately they were moved to share. Remember, they just walked seven miles back from Jerusalem They'd had a meal with Christ. Their eyes were open. And what does it say? That very hour, they went back to Jerusalem. They didn't just get in their car or get a taxi or get the bus. They went straight back, walked back to Jerusalem because they couldn't help but to share the good news, to tell of Christ. They didn't wait till the very next day. They didn't wait till the next time they'd be in Jerusalem doing the shopping. They went that very hour to declare the gospel of Christ, and to tell people that he is risen indeed. And so at the end of this journey, we see these two men who had had walked from Emmaus, who were downcast, who were sad, whose eyes were blinded to the Christ, was now open. They, They had encountered Jesus. They had met with him. They saw him. They ate with him. Their eyes were opened, and now they knew him. And the outcome of that was they had to share. They had to give witness of Christ, the risen Saviour. 
Acts 4 and verse 20, Peter and John declare when they're being told that you must stop the preaching in the name of Christ, you must stop it. What do they say? We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Nothing was going to stop Peter and John from declaring the gospel of Christ. Nothing was going to stop these two men from going straight back to Jerusalem and telling and declaring the Christ. Why? Because it's a precious thing. Their lives have been changed and transformed and they had to tell. And so as we wrap up this journey with these two men tonight, there are questions that we do have to ask ourselves, that we have to go away with and analyse and ask ourselves as we wrap up this journey. The first question we must ask ourselves, the very first question is, do we know the Christ? Have our eyes been opened to who he is and what he has done for us? Can we testify of his presence in our lives? Do we have fellowship with him? Can we say with Peter and John that we cannot but speak of the Christ? They're the questions that we have to ask. We don't need to ask him to know whether we can find a point in scripture. We don't need to know where we find the account of the crucifixion. We don't need to be able to answer a hundred questions on the gospel. What we need to know is, do we know Christ? Is he real in our lives? Have our eyes been opened? Do we have that fellowship? Are we willing and want to testify of Christ in our lives? That could be a hard thing, can't it? Testifying, especially to family, to friends, work colleagues, especially this day and age when we're censored from saying and sharing our opinion on so many things, it can be hard to stand up and say, actually, this is my belief and I want to tell you about Christ. Jesus does know those struggles. He knows that we do struggle humanly with those things. But what we will know is that we have a desire and a passion that we want to declare and tell Christ and that we know that when we're in those situations that God will give us the words that we need to say at those appointed times and I've, I've known people that um, go around zealously telling everybody in the workplace I'm a Christian this is you must be saved are you saved that, that's not what that's not what this scripture is calling us to do but it's calling us to speak when we get the opportunity it's asking us do we have that same desire to get up and to go and to share the gospel when and where we can and I believe that if our eyes have been opened I believe that if we do know him not know about him if we know him then we should want to declare we're not all street preachers we're not all evangelists and again that's not what this passage is saying but we should all want and a desire to tell our next door neighbour our son or our daughter our brother or our sister our aunt or our uncle our mum or our dad whoever it may be those who are those who are close to us and also those who aren't those who 
of our acquaintances, and yet we should have a desire that they know the gospel, that they know that Christ is the one who saves. And, you know, I believe more so. I, I, I truly believe that the, the field is, the harvest is ready. We're living in a world where people are questioning so many things. People are confused in today's society. They really are. And I believe people are ready and willing to hear, not all, but people are ready to hear and to know about this Christ. Not everybody in today's society who, who are not Christians go along with the agenda of the world. People have very strong opinions who aren't Christians, who disagree with the things that the government are trying to teach our children and the way and the agendas that they're trying to teach. I've witnessed that firsthand through work. People come to me and tell me that they hate the way the world is going, this crazy world. So people, you know, we have an answer to those people that say, what's happening? What's happening in this crazy world? Why are they telling my children that they can be a boy or a girl or whatever they choose to be? Why is our, why is our teacher telling them that? We have the answer of what we can bring in this confused society. And the answer is Christ. And he opens blind eyes. Amen.